This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our readings for today are extraordinarily rich. We hear from the prophet Isaiah, we hear from Paul to the Romans, and we hear our ongoing reading from Matthew's Gospel. And all three of these readings today are incomparably rich. And they speak of very deep things in the spiritual life. Let me start with Isaiah. Listen. Thus says the Lord, Just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down, and do not return till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. God's word throughout the Bible, is efficacious. It affects what it says. So in the very beginning, God says, let there be light, and there is light. Let there be dry land, and there is dry land. God's word is the power by which he creates. That's why when Jesus says, for example, this is my body, this is my blood, well, they are. What God's word says is. So here in Isaiah, the same idea. My word does not go forth from me in vain, but rather accomplishes what it says as the rain and snow come down and they make the earth fertile. They affect something. So my word affects what does God's word affect? Fertility, fruitfulness, life. It's like a seed. It's full of life. Why does God create? Why does God's word go forth in this fruitful way? Is it out of need? No, our great tradition says God does not need the world in any sense. God is fully himself even without the world. Not necessity, but rather God makes the world simply because he is love. Our great theologians have often said that the good or love is diffusive of itself. Diffusivum sui, that's the term in Latin. It's diffusive of itself. It gives itself away. Just as when you're in a good mood, you tend to bubble over. You tend to want to be with people to speak to them, connect with them. And one of the signs that we're in a bad mood is just the opposite. We tend to get caved in on ourselves. God is, at the risk of sounding irreverent, always in a good mood. God is the good itself. Therefore, God is expressive, diffusive, bubbling over. What does he bubble over with? Life, life. God is life. Therefore, whatever he says, whatever he does, adds to life. I love how G.K. Chesterton said that God is like a child. You know how little kids are 
playful and effervescent, a little bit over the top. We have to calm them down. Well, just look around the world of creation. What do you see? But it's almost like a little kid at play with all this wild diversity. Why are there so many species of animals and birds? And why are the, the, the oceans teeming with so many forms of life? Why is there such complexity as you look through a telescope up into the night sky? Well, because God is like a kid. Creative, playful, effervescent, over the top. Or stay with Isaiah's image. God is like a gardener. Do you ever know someone who really has a great garden? I used to bring communion to a woman who was a wonderful gardener, and she would show me her garden out in her backyard. Well, it was, it was wild. I don't mean untamed. I mean it was full of, of all kinds of variety. So God's word goes forth, and he creates the variety of the world around us. He's like a gardener, sowing and planting and pruning. Now, we see something similar in the gospel. I might give it a different spin than you usually hear. The story is that of the sower who goes out to sow. And Jesus says, as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground where it had little soil. It withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. But some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit, a hundred or sixty or thirtyfold. Now, we all know that parable well. It's usually read in a kind of moralizing way to say, well, we shouldn't be rocky soil or thorny soil. We should be good soil. And that's true, of course. It's a valid reading. But can I suggest something to you? In the Palestine of Jesus' time, seed, well, it was like water. It was something very precious, you're in a desert country. You need food to survive. If your family's going to live, you need food. Well, water, therefore, was extremely prized, as were seeds. So if you're a farmer in the Palestine of Jesus' time, how do you sow? You sow the precious seeds you have carefully. Carefully. You watch where you sow them. You're not going to waste them. You sow them on good soil where they're likely to grow. Well, look at this farmer, who of course is God. He sows on rocky ground. He sows on thorny ground. He sows on the path and on good soil. Well, what kind of farmer is this? Any self-respecting farmer in Jesus' time would have said, well, he's hopeless. He's hopeless. God is love. That's all he is. In the Gospel of Matthew, we hear that God is like the sun who shines on the good and bad alike. God simply shares his life always with everybody, making no exceptions, having no conditions. Does God stop loving those who have turned from him? No. Does God stop loving sinners? No. In other words, he sows his love every place, exuberantly, creatively, even a little bit irresponsibly. Over the top is how he sows his seed. What's the good news of this gospel is, look, if you are the least bit receptive to it, 
you will come to life 30, 60, and 100 fold. Does God look at thorny ground and say, I'm not going to sow there? No, no, no. That's all God does. Does God look at the path and say, well, that's a waste of time. I'm not going to sow there. No. He creates, creates, creates. He's exuberant life. If we are just the least bit receptive to it, we will grow and grow and grow at that same pace. Good news, good news from Isaiah and from Matthew. Okay, and I can hear the questions forming in your hearts as you listen to me. Well, that's great. And I can see God's creativity, and I can see God's effervescence. Okay, and his word goes forth, and it gives life, and all that. But what about all the darkness, all the suffering, all the blood, all the loss? If God is nothing but this sunny, exuberant love, why is the world such a dark place? Now let's turn to the second reading, which is Paul's always stunning and surprising letter to the Romans. Listen. I consider that the sufferings of the present time are as nothing compared to the glory to be revealed in us. For creation was made subject to futility in the hope that creation itself would be set free. We know that all creation is groaning in labor pains, even until now. Magnificent passage. It's been commented upon numerous times over the centuries. The greatest theologians and mystics have wrestled with the implications of those lines. What's Paul saying? Of course they're suffering. You'd be blind, deaf, not to notice it. Of course there's darkness. All you have to do is watch the 10 o'clock news, get any news magazine, watch CNN any time of the day or night, and you'll see the darkness and suffering and agony in the world. The question is not whether there's suffering, but how do we read it? Listen again to Paul. I consider the sufferings of the present time. That means his present time. It means our present time. Any time until the end of the world, there'll be suffering. But he considers it as nothing compared to the glory to be revealed in us. The world is like a woman in labor. That's Paul's image. Just a woman in labor groans as she prepares to give birth. So Paul sees the whole cosmos as groaning. Not in meaningless suffering. Not just crying out in despair. But rather groaning in a great act of giving birth. Look, I've said God is a creator. God is creative. Do you have any experience in your life whether it's a mother giving birth, whether it's a painter struggling to make a beautiful work of art, whether it's a speaker trying to put together a talk, can you think of any act of creativity which does not involve this kind of groaning, this kind of 
agony, this suffering. Somehow life comes forth precisely in this painful process. Think of the whole world as like a gestation process. Dumb suffering? No, not dumb suffering, but a suffering that speaks of life. God, yes, acting in the world precisely in this painful way. Or go back to Isaiah's image of the seed and sowing the seed. Any gardener will tell you growth involves pain. Any gardener who's worth his or her salt will talk about the pruning, the cutting necessary to allow for greater growth. No garden is free of suffering, but rather suffering makes the growth of the garden possible. Here's an image I love from Teilhard de Chardin. He said, look out at a tree, especially beautiful tree, one that's been there for a long time. What do you notice? That it's gnarled, in certain places twisted. If you look closely, you'll see certain discoloration. You look even closer, you'll see certain branches that are flowering, other branches that have died. You'll see the tree growing in a kind of awkward way as it reacts to its environment. The life and the beauty of the tree are caught up in the very pain by which the tree grew. That's what makes it impressive. That's what makes it beautiful. God is an exuberant creator, always sowing life. Does that take away the suffering of the world? No, in a certain way it presupposes it. The Christian looks at the darkness of the world and says all of it somehow is in service of God's deep purposes, even when he can't see them clearly. Just as a woman is cognizant of her suffering and then she sees the child born. So we glory in God's creative love. We glory in it, even in the pain. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360.